Hey, Crossings Podcast community. This teaching is called Psalms of Justice, God's on Trial, and is the second teaching in our Psalms mixtape series. It was taught by Molly Conaway on April 23rd, 2023. Thanks for listening. If you're, there are a few people that walked in that are like, something's different here and I can't figure out what it is. Um, the artwork on the walls is missing. So you're like, ah, oh, that's what it is. Maybe. Um, okay, so on Wednesday mornings, uh, I, is Kristen here? No, Kristen, oh, hi, sorry. Kristen, <laughs> that's Kristen Smith, everybody. Um, on Wednesday mornings, Kristen and I meet with a group of high school girls. I see Caroline, is Ava upstairs? Um, at Treetop Coffee Shop, so we call ourselves the Treetop Girls. Um, the girls teach me a lot about the world. Um, one thing that comes up often is the name Phoebe Bridgers. So when, I, when this first came up, I really didn't know who that was, and I mistake, mistakenly said, oh, is that that sad little girl that sings sometimes? And they're like, okay, uh, I got made fun of. Um, but coming from that Treetop Girls Coffee Shop uh, conversation, uh, the girls have given us a game to play this morning called Phoebe or the Psalms. So we are in our second week of a study of the Psalms. So here's the game. Um, you have to guess which one of these is Phoebe Bridgers and which one of these is the Psalms. Um, this game is brought to you. Caroline, I think, gave me several of these. That's Caroline back there. All right, so here's the first one, Phoebe or the Psalms. See that man shoveling day after day. Oh, I should say this. Um, some of the, the lyrics of the Phoebe Bridgers songs, I've kept the same. The Psalms um, are translated into the message version. So I don't know if that helps you or what. <laughs> See that man shoveling day after day, digging, then concealing his man trap down that lonely stretch of road. Go back and look again. You'll see him in it head first, legs waving in the breeze. That's what happens. Mischief backfires, violence boomerangs. Phoebe or the Psalms? Psalms, Phoebe. All right, both. Uh, Psalms, Psalm 7. Okay, <laughs> next one. Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? What do you want to say? What do you think will change? Maybe I am afraid of you. Phoebe, Phoebe, sorry. Um, bite the hand, is that right, Caroline? Okay. Uh, all right, I'm in deep trouble again. My life leaks away, groan by groan. My years fade out, out in size. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones into powder. Psalms, okay, y'all knew that one. Um, <laughs> So would you teach me I'm the villain? Aren't I the one repenting for a difficult mind? Push me down into the water like a sinner. Hold me under. And I'll never come up again. I'll just stay down. Phoebe. All right, you guys are good. All right, maybe we'll continue this next. Maybe each week we can have, like, somebody else in the Psalms. All right, so um, we are spending, uh, we think, six to eight weeks studying the Psalms. We're not sure. We're just going to keep doing this until we get tired of it um, or decide we want to keep going. If you've been around, you know that we have studied the Psalms before. Uh, I think I'm just starting to understand how critical it is that we continue to learn the language and the theology behind the Psalms. Caleb introduced this last week. You can go back and listen to the podcast. Um, but the Psalms train us in a language that has been lacking in many churches uh, and faith communities. The Psalm trains us in a way of prayer when, frankly, uh, we don't want to or care to or know how to pray any longer. 
They train us in ways that we can stop talking about God and start talking to God. Eugene Peterson says that the Psalms train us in answering God with the entire spectrum of human conditions. He says the gamut of emotions experienced in our human condition is given full expression in the Psalms. We pray through each psalm and hit every note, sound, every tone of feeling that we are capable of and learn to be at home with all of them before God. So the contents of the psalms uh, are complex. They come from a variety of settings and times and places and circumstances. The who and the when and the where of the psalms is pretty tough for us to nail down exactly. Uh, But somewhere along the way, leaders of the Jewish community decided it would be a good idea to collect the prayers and praises and laments of this faith community and put it together for Israel's worship. This is kind of like Israel's hymn book uh, or prayer book. And if you've ever started reading through the Psalms on your own, you know you don't get too far without being overwhelmed by words like this. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end but establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, God is my shield, who saves the upright heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Or, do not sweep me away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty, those in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. Or, O Lord, you God of vengeance, you God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, give to the proud what they deserve. Or, the Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. Or, O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pays you back. What you have done to us, Happy shall they be who takes your little ones and dash them against the rocks. And sometimes, as I'm reading through the Psalms and get to places like this, I find myself a little disoriented. Um, Maybe because I'm not sure I've ever felt such strong things about another person or a group who has done something to me that I've been forced to ask God to, like, take care of them. Um, Maybe because in the process of deconstructing a God who only looks down upon the earth with fire and vengeance, uh, who wants to destroy everything for like smoking and cussing, I get to these verses and I'm like, I'm not really sure what to do with such violent, vindictive requests towards God. And we realize the Psalms can be very disorienting. Uh, And the Psalms can be very healing. To be given permission to say things to God, whatever it is, and know that God is not offended by our anger. So the track on the Psalms mixtape today includes Psalms like these. Uh, Psalms that at their deepest and darkest are calls and desires for um, vengeance, for revenge even. At minimum... They are songs and prayers and cries and demands for justice, for help, for things to be made right, for the broken pieces of the world to be put back together. 
And some of the Psalms you'll read are specific. Like, God, those people did this thing, and you need to take care of it. And some of them are more general. Like, God, today it just kind of feels like the world is conspiring against us, against me. It's like the bad, I just feel like the bad guys keep winning. And it makes me wonder, like, if you're doing anything at all. And what comes from this is not only some deep theology about God's involvement in human suffering, but also some honest and vulnerable demonstrations of the way God's people have always postured themselves before God and others in the midst of injustice. This is from a book called Psalms for Black Lives, Reflections for the Work of Liberation. And in the foreword of this, um, Dr. Otis Moss III says this. He says, poets, psalmists, and the griot. So griot is kind of this um, traditional poet or storyteller from West Africa. Are all children of the same womb, nurtured by waters sweetened with hope, yet sour with the blues. The poet is an orchestrator of worlds, part blues, a dash of hope, a taste of imminence, with enough transcendence to cause the imagination, to call the names of Octavia Butler, Amos, Bell Hooks, and Martin Luther King Jr. in the same breath. This is the power of poetry. It is an art form that bears witness with words designed to deconstruct poisonous assumptions. The psalmist of the Hebraic community dared such a feat, to crush the myths that infected the minds of people living in exile and replace them with the story of a God beyond human categorization, but present in human affairs. The psalms were not solely songs of praise, but poetry and triumph, tragedy, frustration, existential crises, sorrow, heartbreak, joy, and at times, rage. So when I started compiling the different psalms of lament, of suffering, or injustice, I was getting overwhelmed about which direction to take it today. Um, so I was collecting input from our teaching team, and Caleb, our teaching pastor, said, look, all you have to do is explain God's justice in the world and whether or not we have anything to do with it. <laughs> cool. Had two weeks. Great. But here's what I've been thinking. I've been thinking about how much creation language comes up in the Psalms. So I think we're actually going to spend a week specifically on the creation language in the Psalms in a few weeks. We just sang songs like, God, you are holy, great and mighty, the moon, the stars, they declare who you are, straight from Psalm 8. I like those Psalms, ones where we are reminded about the way we can experience God by finding our place among God's creation, in the mountains, by the ocean, watching the birds or the sunset or the snakes, Joe. There you go. <laughs> and right in the mix of acknowledging God's creation are these psalms of lament of injustice, grief over the terrible things that have been done to humanity. There is an obvious and inherent spiritual element to the psalms, but we also cannot ignore or miss the very real, earthy, tangible dimensions, the very political, economic, social dimensions in the psalms. For example, when the Psalms use terms like to avenge or vengeance, 
this isn't just like a feeling or an emotion. This isn't like, God, I feel really mad and I hope that person like gets diarrhea later. It's not like that. This is like, in a Hebrew custom, in the Hebrew Bible, this is a legal custom. It's speaking of actions. It's speaking of enforcing or restoring justice when the legal process had failed. For the psalmist, the response to a right and beautiful, well-ordered creation includes declaration of praise of the moon and the stars, and it includes a world where equal access to restoration and wholeness is available for the excluded and the exploited and the oppressed and the underserved. And those who violate justice are therefore violating God's fundamental purpose for creation. Basically, the Psalms teach us that we can't separate spirituality or religion from justice. The story of God we seek to be part of, and these Psalms we study, they include lament, a cry to God about the brokenness. They express and acknowledge the grief of the ways power and greed and wealth and empire have destroyed so many for so long. The Psalms also push us to see a world in new ways, with new possibilities, to expand our justice imaginations, to expand what shalom might look like, and the ways we might see and work in the world the way God sees it. We need this because of the way the term justice has been co-opted as a primarily political term. It is political. It's also spiritual. It's also biblical. It's also at the heart of who God is. To be a people who enact and work for and pray for justice, for the broken pieces of the world to be put back together, for things to be made right. This was God's idea first, not ours. So when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to um, interview a man named Stanley Hauerwas. Some of you may know Hauerwas. Um, it was kind of a big deal that he was coming, and we knew we were going to have to come with like questions. So I spent like two weeks like crafting as the perfect question. Like this was, I was going to look so smart for this question. Um, and I asked, I don't even remember the exact question. I asked something like, okay, what, does, what do Christians, what's the Christian's role when it comes to things like social justice? Okay, I thought it was a good question. Um, Hauerwas, if you've ever heard his voice, you can't like unhear it. Uh, and he said, um, to use the term social justice is to not understand justice. There's only one justice, it's God's justice. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I melted in my chair and have also never used the term social justice again. But when we hear words like justice in the news, in conversations, when we get to psalms that use the word justice, when we get to psalms that talk about taking down the enemies or the wicked or the, the I put the haters, do they talk about haters in the psalms, Caleb? Okay, the haters. We must first ask the critical question, whose justice are we talking about here? Whose conception of justice? Our conception of justice? God's conception of justice? Or the conception of justice from CNN or Fox News? And we must be cautious in our certainty 
about who might be the victims of God's justice. Namely, we should refrain from thinking so quickly that we are not liable to the judgment named in the Psalms. Wealthy, powerful, privileged, white America should be made uncomfortable by the implications of God's actions in these Psalms. God's people tend to be enthusiastic about God judging the world until it has to do with us. So, if God's justice is justice, what does that look like? Well, the Psalms make it pretty clear. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek, you will strengthen their heart, you will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed, so that those from earth may strike terror no more. Because the poor are despoiled, because the needy groan, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they long. You deliver the weak from those too strong for them, the weak and needy from those who despoil them. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. I know that the Lord maintains the cause of the needy and executes justice for the poor. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made the heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps his faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Do I need to keep going? I'll keep going. Because this is the one I want to camp out on for a minute. This one's wild. Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Okay, this is crazy. Um, so the psalmist was writing in the midst of an enchanted society. And the author of this psalm is setting up a scene here in which God, Yahweh, is presiding or officiating as the judge over a courtroom. And the gods are on trial. So this, this is also kind of disorienting. We don't often hear about the gods. In the ancient Near East, Israel lived and acted in the midst of a culture where a pantheon of gods were active and interacting and imposing on one another. One scholar commentator says this, the gods were thought to meet in a divine assembly under the presiding authority of the first or father deity, a notion that turns up in a number of places in the Old Testament. How the gods got along and what they decided and did were fateful for nature and human society. So like God, with a capital G, Yahweh, has taken the gods to court. 
Like, I don't know what you have coming up in your head if you have, like, all these little, like, gods like, fire and gold sitting around. This is really, you're going to think I'm really, if you don't already think I'm really weird, you're going to think I'm really weird. The image that came up in my mind was this. It was um, the Monstars from Space Jam, like, all just, like, sitting around. I don't know. I don't know. But Yahweh sat all the gods down on the bench, taking them to trial for accusation, for evidence, for indictment. And what do you think all these gods were taken to court for? I'll give you one guess. How long will you just judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, this is like a, just a musical kind of poetic term. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say, you are God's children of the Most High. All of you, nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Katie, leave that up there for a second. See, the psalm is unique because it mostly um, is being written as God's words. You can see that in the quotation marks. The, the author of the psalm just kind of fills in the gaps at the end. And what's fascinating to me here is that God has all these other gods on trial and God isn't charging them, at least here, for being idols or like fake or non-existent gods. That's not the problem, at least at the beginning of this. The problem is these gods' refusal to walk away from their dehumanizing practices. In this assembly, God's council of the gods, the powers are on trial because they have failed to protect and rescue and heal those at the bottom and on the margins of the socioeconomic ladder. And because of that neglect, they'll die like humans, not gods. To give into the wickedness of oppression and exploitation and exclusion and under service is alternative to the resurrected God and leads even the gods to death. Here's two more for you. Psalm 94. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the stranger. They murder the orphan, and they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Psalm 89. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. See, these are important ones to add to the mixtape track today because they remind us that God's steadfast love, God's loving kindness, that's the engine behind all of this. 
God's love is the motive behind God's justice. Like before we go and storm any castles, we must understand that God's justice isn't about God's desire for more power or control. It's about God's love for the created world. Martin Luther King Jr. says, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. So on Monday, several Crossings folks um, participated in this training called Undivided. It's this like racial healing conversation. It was like 50 other people in the room. Um, black churches, white churches from all over town sat down. And as we concluded this training, we were asked to stand up in a circle with like everybody. Uh, and you had to say to the group something you were going to start, something you were going to stop, and then you had to make a declaration. I don't know about you, but it's not every day that you are given like three, like we were in like three minutes, right? To make a declaration to this group of people after this like really deep conversation. So here's the declaration I made on Monday. Uh, and as I said this in front of all of these people, I think I realized that I was making this declaration for myself. I declared that the Bible that I read, the story of God that I find myself within, the Jesus that I follow are meaningful and powerful and valid sources of inspiration and guidance when it comes to the questions I have about what justice looks like in the world. And the powers, the gods of this world, will continue to try and convince me not to believe that. I don't know about you, but if I were outside of this faith thing, and the first thing I heard was Psalm 82 about God taking the powers to court to stop exploiting and underserving people for the benefit of the wicked, to give justice to the weak and to the orphan, to give access to the lowly, to rescue the weak and the needy. I don't know, it just seems like that's something I might wanna stick around for a little while. Would you pray with me? God whose motive is love, whose care runs deep for the poor and the weak and the fragile and the hurting and the sick. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.